ready to take a ride. Grab your coffee and strap yourself in. If you listen, you can hear God's plan. Because the show is about to begin. You're listening. You're listening to the Omega Man Radio Network. Right on time, everybody. Welcome aboard. We're back with the evening programs again, and I'm excited to be here with our longtime friend, co-laborer in the Lord, evangelist, Pastor Peter Torres of Cold Cutter Christ Ministries. Brother Peter, welcome back, my friend. Uh, good to be back. Good to be back, my brother. Praise God. How are you? I am doing pretty good. By the way, today is Thursday, November 2nd, 2023. Doing better today than I was a few days ago. I've just been battling some blasted sinus infection, but uh, man, that pales in comparison to what's going on in the world at large. Peter, <laughs> uh, we got a lot to get into tonight, and I'm going to give you the mic to take it where the Holy Spirit leads you. But uh, have you heard this news that uh, Hezbollah is getting ready to make some big statement in maybe the next 12 hours? I was not, I mean, I've, I've heard rumblings. I was not aware of that particular announcement. I know they've got something coming uh, because even the FBI director here was speaking on Capitol Hill and he spoke in very cryptic language, but it's obvious they don't want to startle the population here. But our own government is worried about something coming off here. And to be honest, brother, we are actually ripe for an attack right now. I saw the video myself, and it wasn't very long. But um, I'd heard the report. I found the link on Quell's site. Went and saw the little small video. And uh, the head of the Hezbollah organization, um, according to this video, is going to be making a statement at uh, 1,500 hours. So 3 p.m., sometime wherever that is uh, I'm not sure what time zone they're linking it to but let's just say over the next 24 hours be very interesting to see what happens you know I was thinking um, man this would be a time I'd sure like to see that Ark of the Covenant roll back out how would you like to go to battle <laughs> with that thing <laughs> well praise well I'll the Lord. tell you something brother a lot of uh, I mean you know I also work in a public high school And it's funny because over the last few years, every now and again, some big war, some big skirmish, some problem erupts. Even when the uh, situation erupted in the Ukraine with Russia. And, you know, students will ask like, oh, man, are we on the verge of World War Three? And because of my understanding of scripture, it's usually very easy for me to say, no, guys, listen, yes, this is a bad situation. Line up, you know, I can line up what's going on and explain to them with certainty. We're okay. I'll be very honest with you, my brother. I cannot necessarily do that this time. And I'm not trying to worry anyone. I'm I'm actually not worried about it at all. But yes, is it possible that this is just one more in a long series of wars that Israel will fight? Yes. Is it possible that by next spring, things will be back to normal and tourists will be going to Israel? Yes. Is it possible, on the other hand, that this is the beginning 
of what will turn into World War III and the Great War and the invasion of Israel and Armageddon? Also, yes. So right now, it's very hard to tell because so many things are in line for what prophecy tells us is coming. And people tell me, well, if everything's in line, why don't you just say, yes, that's going to happen? But we've also had things line up before and then suddenly realize God is pulling things back because there's a piece of the puzzle missing. And some of the pieces we can't know. That's right. You know, um, today I pulled up a map of Israel. And then I tried to expand it. And what I saw really was an eye-opener today. I've been to the country before, but never really um, studied much about uh, the layout of the land. And if you go over and look at it, if anybody will go over and look at the map of Israel tonight, of the land that they have currently, that's not all the land that uh, belongs to them that God gave them, but just the land that they have under their control right now. Folks, it looks like a desperate situation. They are literally surrounded on all sides. One side being the ocean. And uh, Hamas standing between them and that. Folks, surrounded. And if you just look at what Iran has been doing to date, through Hezbollah, one of their proxy arms, stationing all those missiles in Lebanon, just a few miles away, if you will, from hitting Israel. Israel has got its work cut out. I mean, where do you go? You're surrounded. Small piece of real estate over there. Everybody wants to take it from Israel. And, you know, when people think, well, what about the PLO? What about them? They're not the legal heirs of that land. But there's plenty of places they could go. And I was just comparing what Israel's got right now to all the land, for example, that uh, Syria's got. You know, uh, Egypt, all these other countries out there, all the Arab countries. They're massive swaths of land. And you know, you could take the PLO and say, hey, take your pick. Well, you can go to Egypt. We'll send you to Iran, Iraq, Libya, go to Shoot, go to Jordan, go to Saudi Arabia. Uh, hell, we've got 8 million illegals in the country right now. Why don't we just bring a million of them right. and put them over in D.C.? I'm just saying. Move them to Indonesia, right. for, for God's sake. But to say that Israel doesn't have a right to the land, have you seen the size of it, folks? And do you see what they're up against? God have mercy. And, of course, if I didn't know the Bible, then I wouldn't have the, uh, wouldn't have the hope. We know of what the ultimate outcome is going to be, but we also know what uh, Israel's got to go through. And, you know, as much as I would like to see Peter, Israel go and just take it all back today, take Gaza back, which actually belongs to him, take Lebanon back, it's not going to happen today. And they're probably going to, you know, as you mentioned, uh, suffer great loss of life. I hear that I think Zechariah 14 entails a nuke in the north of Israel at some point. I follow that on up. You're you're over there into the into the area of Lebanon and so forth, part of Syria, and uh, it's going to take all this to drive them to call out to the Messiah, Jesus Christ. You know, as well, they're readying for you battle. Know, 
Well, you know, brother, one of the things that people forget about all this, because a lot, because I've had people ask, well, why don't, why doesn't this turn them to Messiah? And we forget a piece of the puzzle, and it's very simply this: remember that what they are going to turn to initially is the Antichrist. And we always think of the Antichrist as, like I said, the way I just pronounced it, anti, against the Christ. But that word, Antichrist, in the Greek is A-N-T-E. It doesn't just mean against, but it means another. And because we've seen too many movies, you know, if you grew up in the 70s, you saw Damien, you know, Omen. We think of the Antichrist because of movies as an American president with power, but he's an evil and vicious man. And No, the Antichrist is going to come on the scene as a man of peace. He's going to usher it, a ceasefire and what looks like a solution to all of this. And it's his ability to bring peace where other men have failed that's going to lead the Jewish people to accept him as the promised Christ. To accept him as possibly the great one that Moses foretold. Until, you know, he'll even broker some sort of deal for the reestablishment of the temple. And then he'll set up the worship of himself. And it will be at that moment that they realize we've worshipped the wrong one. You're exactly right. That's going to be how And it we're in a out. place that may be setting all that up. Yes, absolutely. Folks, if you're just joining us, we're live with Evangelist Peter Torres. He's going to preach here in just a minute. I'm going to say one more thing. And uh, those that have tuned in for a while, you know where I stand. I stand unconditionally with Israel and their right to every square inch of the land God gave them. God bless the Jewish people in the land of Israel, Jerusalem, its capital. And I've been following Israel Defense Forces on Facebook. And I just want to share this. I just went over there. They have a posting about 10 hours ago by one of the generals. And he's with his some of his troops are out in the field. They look like they're preparing for battle. And he says, quote, We are fighting in the name of the sanctity of life against an enemy whose flag represents death and destruction. We fight as a powerful military with a sharp moral compass. We are fighting for the values of justice and morality upon which this country was established against a terrorist organization that committed vile and horrific war crimes. Now that's IDF Chief of the General Staff, Lieutenant General Hertzi Halevi. I saw that and I had to respond. I put up there, and do not forget, because this this what has been forgotten here. You are fighting for the land that Yahovah God swore He would give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob for possession. Do not forget Yahovah, Hashem. If you forget God, you are essentially going into battle without the Ark of the Covenant. And you know that's a sad part. Many of the nation do not know their God in Israel or the other nations of the world and we know that it doesn't go well for anybody who goes into battle without the Lord now uh, God in his mercies is going to you know 
be in control of this whole thing in the days ahead. But we do know, as you mentioned, all the events that are ahead of them will drive them ultimately to crying out to the true Messiah, and he's going to be the only one that comes back and saves them. And so we're going to see much bloodshed before it's over. And I pray for Israel and our friends over there, and uh, God be with them. But uh, I tell you what, we're uh, we're going from the theoretical to the practical real quick in the physical and spiritual, folks. With that, I'm stepping back, Absolutely. and Brother Peter, open us in prayer, and then the mic is yours. Welcome back, my friend. you got all the time you want. Amen. Oh, blessed Heavenly Father, thank you for this time that we have. Thank you, Lord, that you are Lord and God over the airwaves. As we gather tonight, Lord God, I pray, make my tongue the pen of a ready writer and make, O God, the hearts of those listening your tablet, that you may write your word upon your people. Father, I pray that, Lord, when we are done tonight, your people will be encouraged, your people will be challenged, your people will be strengthened, and your name will be made great. Father God, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to come. Do what only you can do tonight in our hearts and minds. Make your word clear to us and reveal to us, Lord, for you promised. I do nothing except I, I reveal it to my servants, the prophets. And Father, prophecy isn't fortune-telling. But it's about opening up the mysteries of God and making them claim, making them plain to a people who can then see them and live by them. Lord, you said that in the last days, men's hearts would fail them for fear. But your word also says that there's no room in the kingdom of God for cowards. So I pray, Lord God, that my words tonight would put your people in a fighting stance. That fear, which is the atmosphere for the working of the enemy, would be pushed aside and that faith would arise in your people tonight. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, brothers and sisters and friends, those listening tonight, what I'm going to talk about does relate to what Brother Shannon and I were just talking about in terms of all that's going on in Israel. But I, I'm not here. I mean, when we're done, perhaps Brother Shannon and I will talk a little bit more about that. But I want to talk to you on the subject of warfare and persecution. And it is my hope that when I am done, you will understand a little bit more of what's been developing all over the world about why things are developing the way they are and what your response to them should be. So with that, I want to open up in Ephesians chapter 6. And I want you to look just at verses 10 through 12 with an emphasis on verse 12. We're going to start there, we're going to go somewhere else, and then we're going to come back to Ephesians chapter 6. But Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, the Holy Spirit, by the pen of the Apostle Paul, tells us, Finally, my brethren, 
Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Again, my topic, warfare and persecution. You see, the first thing I want you to recognize, my brothers and sisters, is that our warfare is not natural. It's not national. We're not fighting against terrorists or terrorism. It's not against other religions. It's not even human. The issue is not people. The issue is not even bad or evil people. The issue is not political powers. The issue, as the word of God tells us, is powers, rulers of darkness, spiritual wickedness in high places, in heavenly places. We are at war with powers and principalities in the heavenlies. Our enemy, therefore, you have to keep in mind has been at this longer than we have. Our enemy is more cunning, in some cases, in some ways, more knowledgeable. He's been around. I mean, just to put this in perspective, my wife and I have been talking about this the last two days. Those of you who are concerned about the conflict in the Middle East right now, and everybody knows Though no international leaders want to address it, that the power behind everything going on flows out of the nation of Iran. Well, what was Iran thousands of years ago? Persia. The prophet Daniel, when he fasted and prayed and he needed to know, Lord God, what is going to happen to your people? And the angel came to him and told him what? Daniel, from O man of God, from the very first day you began praying, the Lord sent me to you, but the prince of Persia resisted me. Not a man, not the son of the king of the kingdom of Persia, the prince of Persia, the spiritual power over Persia resisted the angel because he had no desire that God's people should know what's coming, that they should know what to do, that they should return to their land, had no desire that they should ever possess Jerusalem again or any part of Israel. He wanted to thwart the coming of the Christ and all things that God has laid out for the end. And we think, wow, but, but you know, he says that, The archangel Michael came and resisted him, and the angel got victory. Right. But spirits don't die. The prince of Persia didn't die. He was defeated. There's a day coming when the devil and hell and every demon will be cast into a lake of fire and it will be over. But until that day, demons don't die. 
And we are at war with powers and principalities. And to be honest, when you think about that, there's a part of you that may want to get discouraged and think, oh man, but they've been at this for thousands of years. They know more than I know. They have more experience than I have. And by the way, aren't demons fallen angels and aren't angels very powerful? Doesn't the Bible talk about a single angel of God taking out an entire army? What can we do? My brothers and my sisters, remember that while our warfare is not against flesh and blood, our commander-in-chief, while our enemy may be great, our commander-in-chief is greater than all. And he has equipped us with greater weapons than our enemy. But we'll come back to that in a moment. Before I get to the weapons of our warfare, I wanted to talk about the source of the conflict. You see, my brothers, sisters, and friends, Brother Shannon, honestly, there's a question that I've been looking at for the last couple of weeks, and and God showed me the answer very quickly, very clearly, rather. Why so much hatred of the Jewish people? There's a massive, massive increase of anti-Semitism all around the world. But this is not new. If you're a student of world history, you know about the pogroms in Russia. You know there's not a nation in Europe that at some point didn't chase the Jewish people out of it. The Catholic Church held one of their first inquisitions against the Jewish people. Why the hatred of Judaism throughout the years? And in modern times, why the hatred of the Christian? See, one of the things that's gotten lost in the stories that we're hearing now, because everyone is so focused on the physical war that's begun, that we missed the fact. I don't know if anyone listening knows this. 2021 and 2022 were probably the worst years on record worldwide for Christian persecution. More Christians were put to death, whether in North Africa or in the Middle East or in different parts of the world, for their beliefs than at any other time in history. And you've got to keep in mind, somewhere in a range of 70 million or 75 million Christians have died for the faith. And more have died in these last two years. So there is a legitimate war. Something has been released. And it's not natural. In fact, let me pause. This wasn't in my notes, but let me explain how you know when something is demonic and not natural. You don't have to even be spiritually sensitive. When illogical allies ally themselves... And there's no reason why they should be together, except if you notice in the spiritual, they all contradict God, you'll go, oh, I'll give you an example. You look at the anti-Israel protests and the rising anti-Semitism in America today, and who will you find? You'll find educated college students, 
What kind of educated college students? Educated college students who are pro-feminist, new wave feminism, not the feminism of old that says men and women deserve equal pay for equal work and women should have equal rights because they're citizens. Third, what's being called third wave feminism. Men need to be punished and manhood needs to be destroyed. And little boys need to be raised differently so that they can't really grow up to be men because manhood is evil. That kind of feminism. And the feminists support Hamas that rapes women and doesn't give women an opportunity at equality. Why would you be supporting a group like that? And I could go down the line and I could talk about the LGBTQ community supporting. Are they not aware that they're supporting an organization that solicits the stoning to death of their people? So it makes no sense that these would be allies until you realize, well, wait. But all these movements, the there's no such thing as gender movement and the marriage is a bad thing movement and the manhood is a bad thing moment movement and the God is not real movement and the what do they all have in common? They're all anti-God. They're all anti-Bible. And so you know it's spiritual. So the question is, what's the source? Why the hatred? And I'm not going to read all of it. I'm going to encourage you, please, please, brothers, sisters, read Romans chapter 7, the whole chapter. But I just want to focus you. I was going to go from verse 4 to 13, but I'm just going to look at 7 to about, yeah, 7 to 13 or 14. Listen to what the Word of God says and see if you catch it. The source of the hatred of Jews and some of the hatred against Christians is defined here. But you've got to listen with good spiritual ears. Listen. What shall we say then, Paul says? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay. I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust except the law had said, you shall not covet. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of of concupiscence. For without the law, sin was dead. By the way, if you're given to underlining in your Bible, underline that. For without the law, sin was dead. For I was alive. Without the law, once. But when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment, which was, which was ordained to life, I found to be death. For, the, for sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me and by it slew me. Wherefore, the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. Was then that which is good made death to me? God forbid. But sin, that it might appear sin, 
working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. Did you catch it? You see, my brother and my sisters, look at that line at the very beginning. I had not known lust except the law said you shall not covet. Sin took occasion, for without the law, sin was dead. I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived in me and I died. Do you get it? You see, brothers and sisters, study this out. Moses, study it out historically. Moses is not the first human being on earth to codify law. Around the time that Moses is, you know, God is giving Moses the law of God. You will also find around the same time, things like Hammurabi's code being written. There are attempts by the world to create its own system of what's right and what's wrong because societies are growing and people need to learn to live together. But you know what you won't find in any of those codes of law? There's only one God. Worship the Lord your God. Keep his Sabbath holy. You won't find that. Why? Because they were heathens. They wanted to be able to live together peaceably, but they didn't care about God. Yeah, but what about the other commandments? Well, Paul's saying, covetousness became covetousness because God told us don't covet. It's not that man wasn't coveting before, but remember, the word of God literally says, where there is no law, there is no sin. So humanity hates Jews. The Jews are hated by the powers and the principalities and the spirits in high places because the law came into the world through Moses. Even John, in his introduction to his gospel, in John 1, tells us that. The law came through Moses. And through the Jews... That law was exported. The law of God makes its way to Medo-Persia. The law of God makes its way into Babylonia. The law of God makes its way. And when the Jews are scattered throughout the earth multiple times in their history, every time, you know, the Babylonian captivity, their time in Persia, the law of God is taught. It's taught to Xerxes. It's taught to Nebuchadnezzar. It's taught to others. And so suddenly, this honest moral code, I mean, think about this. Look at cultures around the world. Before Judaism begins to mix in and expand and spread, how many wives could a man have? As many as he could handle. How were women treated? There was generally, and there are small exceptions, I understand, listen, I'm a teacher of history. 
there were small exceptions. For the most part, women were a demeaned class. God steps up, and a lot of people miss this. In the book of Genesis, he corrects Abraham. Why was it error for Abraham to sire Ishmael with Hagar? Because that's not your wife. Hold on. The culture he's in, the time that he's living, it was perfectly acceptable for men to have multiple wives. God says, no, I made you a promise that you not understand. Brother Peter, you went mute. Stand by just a second, folks. Uh, let's do a sound check. We still got audio there in Mixelar. Peter, see if you hit the mute switch by mistake. Okay, I have lost Peter. Hold on a minute. We're going to try to get him back on. Just a minute. Okay, folks, hold on a second. Audio still there in, in Mixalong land? Hold on. Okay, trying to find him here. There we go. Peter? Hey, can you hear me now? Uh, yes, but it sounds different. Give me a second. I want to see if I can. I, I just got to switch one thing over. Okay. You went mute just for 60 seconds. I'll call you back. Sounds different. Okay. We still got audio on MixLR. All right. Great. Sometimes internet can go out of my end. Could be anything. Okay. Welcome back, everybody. We are live here with Pastor Peter Torres. Okay, stand by a second, and we'll be back on in just a minute. Okay. Peter, welcome back. All right. Tell me how that's sounding. Hey, that's okay. And you were doing fine, but then it just went silent for like uh, 30 seconds. So I don't know if maybe... Yeah, it, headset it looks like for some reason the mic I was using died. Oh, okay. All right, is it battery powered? or chart The headset just... I, I'm not even going to try and figure that out. I'll okay. figure that out later. But fine. That sounds thankfully, good. just in case that happened, I was prepared with a backup. Okay. Well, we're good to go. Uh, continue on. you got all the time you want. All right. So I was saying how if you look at this situation, okay, the law comes in. Abraham was wrong to have a child with Hagar, but not by the cultural standard, not by any standard of his time, 
by no other standard than the fact that the law of God was about to be established. It was coming in through this man. And we know that Abraham mixes with many different cultures. He has interactions in business with many in the Mediterranean and the Middle East. These will have interactions with others and others. So through Abraham, through Isaac, these ideas that a man should only have one wife. Think of the price that Pharaoh paid for trying to get involved with Sarah. And so when you think about these things, you realize God is changing the rules. And so the law of God comes in and establishes a new standard. And the world hates the Jews because the Jews gave us the standard. Think of how society is reversing itself. I I literally, Brother Shannon, I tell people, and it's fascinating, because agnostic and atheist teachers with whom I work, who years ago used to argue with me, thought I was out of my mind, are now telling me, wow, Pete, I don't know how that happened, but you saw things coming long before we did. We literally live in bizarre world. Good is evil. Evil is good. Why? Because the standard of God is being taken away. And it's not men who are against this. Yes, the enemy uses men, but it has always been the goal of these powers and principalities. It has always been the goal of the devil to remove God's standard. Why? Because God's standard stands in the way of his fun. You see, if we follow God's standard and we worship only the Lord our God, then We can't have idolatry. And Paul says it very clearly in his writings. We know that an idol is nothing. It's a dead thing. But there is a spirit behind it. Every time a man or a woman bows down to an idol, every time a man or a woman participates in some occult ceremony, every time a man or a woman worships, an elephant or, uh, you know, some other, you know, some sixth-armed being. While the statue is nothing, it's a dead, lifeless thing. There's a spirit, there's a demon behind it being worshipped. But when we follow God's law, there's no worship for the enemy. When we follow God's law, there's no perversion. When we follow God's law, Do you know even sickness and disease decreases? Think about the problems we have with STDs and STIs in our our society today. Imagine if just one generation all over the earth, one generation, just one, decided we're going to do things God's way. We're going to keep ourselves pure until marriage. And then after marriage, I'm only going to be with my husband, if you're female, with my wife, if I'm male. And that's it. Imagine if we did that. We would wipe out AIDS and almost every STD in a single generation. But you see, 
the devil and the powers and the principalities against which we war, they don't want that. That's not what they want. So the Jews are hated because the law of God came in through them. But what about Christians? Why so much hatred of Christians? And to be honest, if you want to understand that, you need to again look at Romans chapter 7, verses 4, 12, look at verse 18, and then even more. Read Romans 8, 1 to 4. And here's what you will find, and this is why the world hates Christians. Because, see, from the point of God, we're God's children. We've been adopted. We're blessed. But from the point of view of the world, you understand that we Christians are traitors and treacherous to the world. Why? Because think about it. In essence, and yes, there are Jewish believers. Yes, there are those among the tribes of Israel who have come to the saving knowledge of God. But for the most part, Paul even talked about it. There's an age of the Gentiles that must be fulfilled. God had told Abraham that all the nations of the world would be blessed through him. God had foretold through the prophets that he was going to take a people who are not a people. He was going to take those who are not his children and make them his children. He was talking about Something he would do through the Gentiles. And we Christians are Gentiles, non-Jewish believers who testify to the following. Number one, that the law is good and right. Number two, as Christians, we testify that the law serves a purpose, a good, a legitimate purpose. And number three, see, while the world loves, loves. Verse 24 of Romans 7, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Ha! You see, no one can follow God's law. It's a horrible law. And so the devil's plan is how you liberate yourself is just forget about the law. Give it up. Get rid of it. Forget about it. But you see, he forgets verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. And the enemy still goes, ha, you see, you'll never follow the law. And he forgets Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, which testified to the fact that the law of God can be perfectly fulfilled in an imperfect man. Oh, the world hates us for that. You see, as a Gentile, 
You should be gathering around with the world, hating the Jews. You should be despising the law of God. You should be testifying, this law is too heavy, and it's too hard, and I hate it. And we Christians testify that the law is good and wonderful, and it's beautiful. And we even love the fact that it makes us hate things in ourselves. But we also testify by the power of the Holy Spirit, thanks to the blood of Jesus, Jesus, that a man, an imperfect man, a miserable wretch of a man, a fearful, conniving, selfish, lustful, greedy man can become a child of God, fulfill the law, that the law can be written on your heart and that you can fulfill it. So the, the world system the powers, the principalities hate the Jews for bringing the worship of God and the law of the one true God into the world. It hates us because we testify instead of hating the Jews, instead of throwing stones at the Jews, instead of chanting along with Hezbollah from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. We step up and say, no, the law is good. We are thankful for the Jewish people. Thank the Lord our God that the law of Moses slayed me and showed me my sin so that I would turn to the living Savior. You see, if I did not know my sin, I wouldn't want Jesus. I wouldn't need Jesus. Some of you have heard me say this before. No one cries out for a lifeguard or a life vest if you've ever been on a cruise you don't go down and play some shuffleboard and ask the captain before you push, you know, your little puck with your stick if you could have a life preserver. Why? Because you're safely on the boat. You don't go into the mess hall, get some food and ask where the oars and the boats are. You're inside the ship and you're safe. But fall overboard into the ocean. Let the sharks begin to move in your direction. Become aware of how helpless and how hopeless and how dangerous and how deadly your situation is. You cry out for a savior. And you see what the world wants us to do. Look at the law and say the law is bad. It makes us feel bad about ourselves and there's no solution to it. So we should hate the law and we need to kill the Jews and we need to bury the Torah and we need to get rid of these things. But through Christ our Lord, we testify as Christians that know the law in exposing my sin was good. It led me to the cross where I died and yet now it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And so the greedy man can become generous and the whoremonger can become a good husband and the evil man can become good, the weak can become strong, the poor in spirit can become rich. All things are possible in Christ and the world hates us because that's our testimony. And so every power and principality of hell is aimed at two things, 
extinguished the Jews and extinguished the Christians. If there are no Jews, there's no more Torah. There's no more law. We can write our own laws. We don't need one man, one woman. We could have one man, two women, one woman, two men. We could have whatever. We don't even have to follow science. No, there are not two genders. There can be 137 different genders. We can make up the rules as we go. We can call good evil. We can call evil good. We can do whatever we want. But not as long as the law of God is there saying you're wrong. You ever wonder about that? Why? Why are the atheists not hell-bent against the Buddhists or the Hindus? Why is it so cool in America and, and Britain and France and so on and so forth? to practice yoga and chant Buddhist mantras. People, I work in a public school. We had a math teacher years ago who was a Buddhist. And he would make his students to begin every class. He'd put a different mantra up on the board every day. And he would show them how to chant. And we're all going to meditate and chant. And this is what we're going to do to get focused. And I've seen superintendents walk into his room. And applaud him for bringing the spirituality in the room. And applaud him for teaching the children something positive. And the same people turn around and threaten my job because I have a Bible on my desk. And the kids are not supposed to be exposed to religion. Don't you know this is a public school? Wait, wait, wait. He, he made them chant. I didn't make anybody do something. I just had my Bible there because I'm going to read it during lunch. The Bible is at once the most beloved, most popular, most published book in history, and the most hated. So many systems, from communism to Islam, have threatened to stamp it out, and yet it survives. Even if they burned every copy of the Bible on earth, it would survive as long as there are Jews and as long as there are Christians. There will be people who have the law and the commandments, who have the New Testament memorized. There will be children and there will be men and there will be women who proclaim the law and the glory and the salvation and the hope and the justice of God. And the enemy must stamp that out. And if you look in the natural, the enemy's winning. Did you hear about this recently? A petition was passed. All right. There was a proposal in the United Nations to support Israel. Instead, a statement was passed over 90% of the world nations joining on board against Israel in support of Hamas. Have you heard about this? Did you know that our own Congress, 
the House of Representatives tried to pass a simple, this is a very simple resolution. It was not a promise of money. It was not a promise of military support. A simple statement that after such a heinous and vicious attack, we support the people of Israel and hope for their security. It failed. They couldn't get 51% of congressmen to vote yay on a resolution. So he tried another one. Israel has a right to defend its sovereign borders. The same people who are clamoring, we need to send billions of dollars to the Ukraine because Ukrainian sovereignty and borders are at stake, would not say Israel has a right to defend its borders. By the way, even when an amendment was proposed, well, we agree with Israel's right to defend its borders as long as it takes no land from Palestine. Still failed. And so it would seem we're losing. It would seem the world is turned against us. But you see, brothers and sisters, you must never forget. You, just one of you, plus God, is a majority. You have to be able to say, along with great men of the faith of the past, men like Martin Luther said, if the whole world is against me, then I am against the world. But I will not relent and I will not recant. And so finally it begs the question, how then do we fight if our enemy is so great and our enemy is so grand and our enemy's been along around for so long, how do we fight? Go back with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Very, 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 very well-known verse of scripture. Verses 13 to 17. Wherefore, take to you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand an evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with the truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereto with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Put on the full armor of God. The first thing we are told to do, brothers and sisters, is having done all that you can to stand, stand therefore. Keep standing. Don't relent. Don't get tired. Don't fall down. Don't get weary. Don't give up. Stand. There's a famous quote and famous expression. Those who do not, who do not stand for something will fall for anything. We have become the generation of compromise. 
We don't want to stand up against this sin or that sin. We don't want to stand up against this people or that people. We don't want to stand up. We don't want to stand up. And so we are being knocked down left and right. My brothers and sisters, it is time for the church to stand. And stand firm, not just for a moment. Yeah, but you don't understand they're taking over our schools. If you live in the district and you are a voting person, if you are a taxpayer, those are your tax dollars. That's your school district. You stand up and fight. Stand. College students, when everyone else is raving and telling their lies, stand. Yeah, but nobody else. Then stand alone because you're never really standing alone. You've got the Holy Spirit. You've got the Father God. You've got the indwelling of Christ. You've got a threefold indwelling of God. Stand firm. And put on the full armor of God. I think part of our problem today, Brother Shannon, is that there are a lot of people who have on little pieces of the armor. They have this piece or that piece, but they're not fully girded and therefore they're not fully ready. Can you imagine an NFL football player going out? He's got his cleats. He's got his shoulder pads. But he's in his underwear. He's got no helmet. He's got no mouthpiece. He's like, I'm ready, coach. He can't legally get on the field. Son, go get dressed. You need your pants. You need your thigh pads. You need your helmet. You absolutely must have your mouth guard in. Can't take the field half dressed. Can you imagine a soldier going out to battle? And coming up to his commanding officer. Sir, I'm ready to go. He's got on his pants. He's got his fatigues, his pants, his shirt on. He's got no boots. He's got a gun, but he's got no bullets. He's a sniper. He's got his rifle, but he's got no sight. Come on. Captain wouldn't let him go out like that. You're not ready. I've got a mortar, but no shells. You're not ready. Hey, boss, we got the Jeep, no gas. You're not ready. And so he says, put on the full armor of God. Let me run through this quickly. Number one, <coughs> your loins gird about with the truth. What is the truth? God's word is truth. Stop compromising on truth, brothers and sisters. See, to gird up your loins, it's an expression from the past because if you see the way that the clothing that they had in that day, it almost looks like a skirt. It's like kilts that men were wearing. When you went to battle, you had that long robe looking thing. We had a belt and there's a way that you tied one leg and you tied the other and you attached it to the belt and it held you together and it made you ready now to run and go into combat. But I also like to think about it with weightlifting. Power lifters use belts because they're lifting so much weight that despite their incredible strength, if they did not have the belt, the force 
of what they're about to deal with could force the intestines out of place and create hernias. So they need a good belt. Brother, sister, you need a good belt. <coughs> and your belt is the word of truth. What is truth? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But the opening of John's gospel said, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. What is truth? Oh, Lord God, your word is truth. Brother Shannon, do you know how hard it is to get Christians to read their Bibles today? And please, listen, I love technology and I know a lot of you do. I wouldn't be speaking to you over the airwaves without technology right now. But research has shown and proven it is not the same thing reading your physical Bible as opening up your Bible app. Get a Bible and read. <clears throat> I just recently finished my own challenge. I just retired another Bible. I don't know if anyone else has this tradition. Um, when I get a new Bible, I keep it either until it's so falling apart that it can't be used, or I've read it from cover to cover, or usually what I want is both. I have a Bible that was so falling apart, it had to be held together with rubber bands, pages coming out, the 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 jacket, the sleeves all torn and open. And I finished it recently. I have read my Bible from cover to cover at least, I think, four or five times since I've been a Christian. Brother, sister, you don't have to do this a thousand times, but if you love the Lord, know the full counsel of God. Get into his word. The truth of God girds you against the lies of the enemy. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. The word for righteousness means being restored to what one ought to be. It means integrity, virtue, purity of life. To be in right standing with God. How do you protect your heart? Think about this. Today in combat, back in medieval times, it was what they called a male this kind of shirt of metal. Today, it's a Kevlar, a Teflon vest, a Kevlar vest to protect you from bullets and the weapons of the enemy. What guards our heart? What guards our innermost being from the attacks of the enemy? The breastplate of righteousness. Your heart, the center of your being, needs to be covered by the fact that you are being restored to what you were created to be. That you are in right standing with God. And see, that's why the word, the belt, the word of truth comes first. Because if you don't know God's truth, you can't put on the breastplate of righteousness. The enemy will remind you of your sin and you'll crumble thinking God doesn't love you. That you're not right. But if you know the word, You'll understand that sanctification is a process. You'll know that you are daily being transformed from glory to glory, from image to image, into the image of Christ. Your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel. I love this one. 
You see, a lot of people say, well, you got to have your feet shod with the gospel. No, it says with the preparation. He masis, readiness, preparedness to make straight and level a path. In fact, that word comes from the idea in ancient times how they would send someone out when a king was going to travel. They'd send someone out before him to level the ground and make straight paths for the king to pass over. Brothers and sisters, your feet must be prepared. Feet talk about walking, talk about going somewhere, talk about having a firm footing. You must have a firm footing in the idea that your purpose in this world is to prepare the way of the Lord. To be a voice crying out like John the Baptist against the evil and sin of your day and for the coming of your king. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Behold, he comes, riding on the clouds, shining like the sun at the trumpet's call. We've got to make ready a highway for our God. And then there's the gospel of peace. There the word peace means the tranquil state of one who is assured of salvation. You must be prepared. See, it's not just the gospel, it's the gospel of peace. Brothers and sisters, one of the reasons why our preaching has become less effective is some of us are so good at letting people know that we're, what, what, what we're against and they have no idea what we're for. Christians are distressed and out of shape and having panic attacks. And no, our gospel brings peace. It brings you to the tranquil state of assurance of your salvation. Your next weapon is the shield of faith. Faith, peace deeds, a firm conviction, an assurance or guarantee, the character of one who can be relied on. Brothers and sisters, this is no easy believism. This is not a, I prayed a prayer one day and I think maybe Jesus is. This is a conviction. That God is who he says he is and he can be relied on and we can trust him and I can be trusted because I represent him and I trust him and I know him. This is no weapon formed against us will prosper. This is me crying out that to live is Christ, to die is gain. Hence for all he, this is, he works all things together for the good of those who are in Christ Jesus. This is the gospel. And the shield of faith is held up. It says that it can quench every fiery dart. There is not an attack the enemy can send at you. There is no cancer. There is no depression. There is no sadness. There is no lack of money. There is no loss of job. There is no loss of home. There is no insult. There is no fabrication. There is no false accusation. There is no prison cell. There is no enemy. There is no hate. 
hatred. There is no scoffing. There is no bullying. There is no intimidation. There is not a law. There is not a person. There is not an organization. There is nothing on this earth, above it or below it, that can keep us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you believe this? Is your faith in these words coupled by and or producing actions that testify of your belief? I mean, remember, faith without works is dead. Has your faith produced a faithful and reliable character in you? This is the shield of faith. And if your shield has holes in it, maybe it's because you're memorizing scripture that you're unwilling to live. Like I said, this is not easy believism, but this is a warfare. Finally, and I'll wrap up in a moment, I I know we're going a little long. The helmet of salvation. The word salvation is soterion. It means salvation, defense, defender. The one who embodies salvation. We used to sing that great song. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. Brothers, sisters, is your mind set on Jesus? I remember an old song they used to sing. I woke up this morning with my mind set on Jesus. Is your mind set on Christ? Have you fixed your eyes fully upon Jesus? This is the helmet of salvation. A mind set on Christ doesn't wander, doesn't waver. Finally, you have your one offensive weapon. The sword of the spirit. And I love the fact that there's the one weapon. Paul tells us clearly what it is. Like, I don't want you to get this one messed up. The sword of the spirit is the word of God. The word of God is our offensive weapon. But we are not to make it an offense. Brothers, sisters, you are not to use scripture to beat people up. To show them why they're not up. No, no, no. But we do use scripture. Remember Jesus when he was tempted in the wilderness? He defeated his enemy with scripture. Notice how it comes full circle. You can't hold, you can't use the sword of the spirit. You cannot put on the helmet of salvation. Your shield of faith will have holes in it. Your feet will not be prepared with the gospel. Your heart cannot be protected by the knowledge that you are right with God unless you start at the beginning, girding up your loins with the truth of God's word. Please, brothers and sisters, I know with everything going on, there's a temptation to want to watch the 24-hour day news cycle, to have the news on, from the moment you wake up to listen in your car, to listen on your break and, uh, you know, on your job and on your lunch break and to listen at night. And 
take a break and get into the Word of God. Read that first. Before you turn on the news, regardless of where you get it from, pick up the good news. So let's close with this. Five things. Number one, you must know God and his word. These are our takeaways for today. Number two, you must know who you are in God. Number three, you must abandon all hope in anything outside of God and his holy word. Because we're living in that age where everything that can be shaken will be shaken. Number four, you have to fight the good fight with your eyes on the prize and win. Why? Because brothers and sisters, we're getting close to homecoming. We're getting close now to that great getting up morning. Well, the last trump will sound and the dead in Christ will rise and we'll be caught up to meet him. Regardless of which song you like to sing, I want to be ready to walk into Jerusalem just like John. When the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. When the saints come marching in, you'd pick your song. But make sure it's not something you're singing in vain. Know the word. Know your God. Do not waver. Persecution is coming. And persecution is here. Our enemy is great and old and cunning. But our weapons are greater. And our commander in chief is the greatest. Commit yourself fully to him and prepare to win. Amen. Powerful broadcast today. We're live with Evangelist Peter Torres. Brother Peter, that was pretty awesome. Praise God. I'm getting some feedback here. I may be Oh, okay. I, I know what that is. <laughs> it has to do with the system. Give me one second. Okay. Let me see if I can get rid of that. You got it. Is that is that better? Let's see. Um, yes, yeah, better. Yes, sir. Very good. All right. Yeah, you're going to get a little. It's okay. <laughs> because of what I had to do to be able to get the mic back on. Well, you, you did great work to make that switch. Um, Peter, how's the... Uh, How's the family doing? The family is good, praise God. Um, the boys are wonderful. They're all in school. Um, Claudia's doing good. I mean, we've had our challenges, but God is good. He's been very faithful. Man, I need a new picture of your boys. they got to be growing like cedar trees. Oh, are you kidding? Benel is almost as big as Claudia already, and he's only oh. seven years old. Wow. Now, how old are the three boys right now? So, Benel is seven, and Obed and Osher are six. And Benel's in second grade. His brothers are in first. Man, that's exciting. And they're um, loving it. So, your two youngers are, are running parallel with my son in terms of age. Um, Jeremiah is six also. And then we got... Jim, I was, was going to say, isn't Jeremiah the same age as the twins? Yes, sir. He's six. Um... Six in March. Uh, his birthday was in March, and then uh, okay. Judah is four, and then we have baby Jemima, who's going to be uh, two years this this month. 
But um, oh. <laughs> man, I'm glad to hear family's doing good. And um, tell people about Cold Cutter Christ Ministries. Um, actually, I'm going to hold off on that, and I'm going to tell you why. Um, I had put the ministry on pause temporarily, and what I thought was supposed to be a two-week pause has turned into literally, it's been almost a year. Um, the website is still there. I'm in the process of rebuilding. And you and I had had a conversation about this at one point. I need to talk to you off the air because I'm planning on doing something a little different, but we do want to relaunch what we've been doing. Um, so for right now, I'm going to hold off. I mean, what I will tell people is this. Listen, Kolkata Christ comes from Isaiah 40, verse 3. And it's basically um, John the Baptist's answer when he's asked, who, am, who are you? I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Kolkata Christ means a voice crying out for Christ. And we exist to train up voices. I truly believe, brother, we are in the last days. We have been for a while, but, but we're closer there than we've ever been. And we live in the age of the superstar preacher and the super mega church. And what I'm finding the result is, is the kingdom of God has suffered great violence. Please listen, if you go to a mega church, I'm, I'm not putting down what you go to. I'm not even saying mega churches are bad. But we got the idea in our, church, in our heads that every church had to be a mega church. And as pastors scrambled over each other, to grow bigger rather than deeper. Brother, we, we live in a generation, like I said, I'll give you one quick example. My, my boys, as you know, go to a Christian school, a wonderful Christian school. Every single one of their friends, it's, it's a Christian school, but you know, like some Christian schools, it's open to anyone because we want it to be like evangelistic. This is not that school. At least one, if not both parents, must be born again Christians. Okay. At least one, if not both Christ parents, must be born again Christians. There must be a testimony and evidence that the child is being raised in Christ. That said, a large percentage, not the majority, but my boys were actually heartbroken this week as they talked to friends of theirs and realized. A large enough percentage, a noticeable percentage of their friends celebrate Halloween. Even worse, some of their churches and pastors celebrate Halloween. There's no sense of separation from the world. Why? Because we want so badly the world's approval. And so what God is looking to do in this age is raise up people who don't care whether or not their name is on a marquee. Don't care whether or not they get, you know, a million hits. They care that people hear the word of God. The message is more important than the messenger. And we exist to help train those people to rightly divide the word of God so that truth can be known. Amen. Man, that was eloquently spoken. Yes, sir. Praise the Lord. I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm so happy to be back with you here, my friend. 
I know you got a lot on your plate, uh, being full-time <laughs> teacher, husband, and father of three. But I want you to look at your schedule and see if you can carve me out a date a month. Now, I'd love to have you more right. than that. But at minimum, I'll yes. take you for one. And um, we'll work around your schedule. Uh, what is the um, what is the uh, grade that you currently teach, Peter, at school? Uh, this year, I have almost entirely 11th and 12th graders. Now, what are your main subjects? So I'm teaching U.S. history. Oh, wow. Um, bilingual U.S. history. So they're all immigrants. They're all migrant students, which is awesome. They have no context like most of them know who George Washington is and nothing else so I get a blank slate and um, get to teach them about US history and then I have two classes a day of a college level psychology course that I teach for Syracuse University at the high school hey now that's real cool Um, which is a wonderful opportunity um, especially because, look, I, I teach the curriculum, but I, I do not lie to my students. And it's fascinating. Like just this week, because we've been doing, um, there's a unit on physiology and the body and how the body affects, like, you know, how we connect with the world. And we got into genetics and the issue of gender came up. And I was very clear, it wasn't offensive. I have students of all kinds of backgrounds at the public school. But I told them, look, and if anyone's offended by this, please talk to me. I don't mean to be offensive, but it's just scientific. Please understand. I know you've been told Facebook has, I think, 137 genders. (laughs) Biologically speaking, there are two genders. That's it. And a couple of students started clapping. I'm like, why are you clapping? And they're like, because we know this to be true, but everyone keeps telling us it's wrong. And one kid even told me, I want to be a doctor. How can I be a doctor and not know that XX makes a female? And I said, well, you'll have to cross that bridge when you get to it, son. But yes, I'm going to tell you the truth. Hey, look, I'm like this. If you're a man, you have sperm. If you're a woman, you menstruate. You can't screw that one up, right? Uh, Well, like I said, we live in bizarro world. So, you know, you have medical doctors who will tell you a man can have a baby. What? No. But medical doctors who will say things like that. And mainly because of fear of cancel culture. And I think that's why, with what I preach tonight, the first advice from Paul is stand firm. He saw prophetically our age coming. And I know that he did because he talks about it in other letters. Men will be lovers of self and lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. And he defined our generation very clearly, very clearly. Let me ask you And this. seeing our generation, he told us, be ready, stand firm, don't waver. And by the way, let me just say this. I'm, I'm sorry, brother, I'll let you ask you a question, but I, I want to encourage people. You don't have to be offensive to be honest I think that's the problem we forget that Jesus you know the word of God says speak the truth in love we speak the truth in anger and turn people off you know same statement I made to my class no one was offended there are students of different sexual orientations I know this because my students talk to me I have good relationships with them they were not offended they were just curious. Like, one, I had a question. Well, what about intersex? And what's the difference between intersex and intergender? And they said the first time they've been able to have an honest conversation. 
other teachers is read from a script. We had a conversation. We talked about what's real. My students know my beliefs. I in no way denigrated any of them. But it was refreshing for them to hear truth. Forget about the fact that no one speaks truth with a big T, God's word. No one's even speaking truth with a little T anymore. We've thrown all truth out the window. But, you know, as the famous expression goes, one plus one is going to be two. Even if five billion people say it's seven, (laughs) they'll be wrong. It'll still be two. Hey, uh, in 2023, teaching U.S. history, where are you at right now in terms of by the time a person finishes that class, how far in the history timeline did you get them through? Oh, well, we're responsible to get them all the way through to Joe Biden. Oh, wow. Doesn't It doesn't always happen. <laughs> how far like, we've I come? mean, it's November, and we're just in the Constitution and talking about the Bill of Rights. I spend a lot of time there because having, um, you know, immigrant students, a lot of them have no idea. Like they have general concepts about their rights in our country, but a lot of them have no idea. So I rather than spend a day or two, spend literally two weeks on the Constitution and Bill of Rights and really spell out for them what their rights are and how it's important. And uh, we even have a police officer, Officer Navarro, who works in our building who at the end of this is going to come in and speak to them about situations he's seen because he's really a resource to them. You know, like he's helped people of, um, like I have a, a family right now, one of my students, their family, their landlord, they have a one year lease. They have seven months left on the lease. The landlord's trying to tell them they got to get out by the end of the month because he has family coming from Ecuador. And the family's in a panic and they don't realize, no, he can't do that. But they have no idea. So that's where we are and we get them through everything. And and you would really love this. Um, Man, I wish we had that when I was in school. Because in 1987, when I took U.S. history, they got us up to the Civil War. And I was like... No, we, we got to go all the way through. I want to Everything. hear about Nam, and the the answer was, well, that was too close uh, or, or too too recent for us to be able to speak objectively about it. And that was, you know, eighty seven. You know, talking about a war twenty years earlier. I oh mean, yeah. You know, long well, brother, come. listen, you you would love this. One of the things I do with my students, and it's it's an awesome way to sort of bring a biblical perspective in without crossing that, you know, church and state separation line, because I am a public school teacher. I don't know if you've ever heard of a guy named Robert Blah. He's not a Christian. He's a sociologist, but he wrote a great book. Um, He's one of these people, he comes from a very Christian background, very religious family, but lost his way. And he talks about, he, you know, in other books, he lost his way because his family, while Christian, didn't really live out their Christianity. And it made them believe that Christianity is a lie. One of the reasons why I'm adamant about living a life of integrity before my boys. I don't want that to happen to them. 
I won't. I don't want them to have memory verses and turn fifteen and decide everything Daddy taught us was a lie. I want them to see it lived out. But Robert Belan, that book, has an interesting way of summarizing U.S. history. So I use this with my students, and then every unit we go through, we look at it through this lens. And he said simply this: the American people, since their inception, and to some degree ever since saw themselves as a people in the biblical and classical sense. They hoped they were a people of God. They often found themselves behaving like a people of the devil. And so we talk about that and those famous words, you know, in the Declaration of Independence of all men being created equal and, you know, certain inalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And for every unit we look at, we sort of assess, is America behaving like a people of God or people of the devil? And I've had people ask me, how can you get away with this? It's not a Christian school. I said, no, 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 because our definition is a people of God, you live with integrity. You live what you believe. Well, we said this, what we believe. Everyone's equal, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. Are we living up to that? People of the devil live however they want. They do whatever they want. They chase money. They chase their their own success at the cost of everyone else's. Which one are we being? And my students love it. It's a great lens for learning U.S. history, but it's also a sort of mild way for me to interject the teaching of values, true civic values, Because, like I tell my students, listen, whether anybody wants to believe it or not, it really is true. Without the faith of the founders in the Bible, in Jesus Christ, we could not have the nation we have. And part of why our nation is in trouble is because we've cast our Christian moorings into the sea. And it's going to cost us. It already is costing us. And so it, it's great to be able to do that, and I walk them through this. It's a lot of work because they don't have a background. It's easier with American children because some of the stuff I'm going to teach, like I tell my students jokingly, like most of my students have no idea who Dr. Martin Luther King is. My six and seven year old boys already know who George Washington is, who Abraham Lincoln is, who Rosa Parks was, who um, Martin Luther King is. So imagine by the time they get to high school. But these kids, it's not their fault. They come from other countries. So they know maybe George Washington and that's it. Listen, I have no concept of the way schools are set up now. It's been so long because I've been in one. But where are we at in 2023? You still using chalkboard or those overhead projectors Uh, with the I I rarely ever touch a piece of chalk anymore. It's a rare thing. So what um, you- everything is mainly smart boards, Promethean boards. Ah, okay. Um, like I don't even carry. I don't have a briefcase anymore, or a flash drive. Anything I need to send, I email. The only thing I have done, and, and I'll talk. I'll mention this to our listeners because this is important. I kind of brought this up in my message. Um. In New York, we're moving to a very, um, what they call student-centered model of education, where they want the kids sort of learning for themselves. 
And it's more of a literacy model. They do a lot of reading. Anytime my students have to deal with documents, I print the documents out and give them to them. And here's why. And this is why I said in my message, please, I get it. Listen, I love the convenience of a Bible app on my phone. Buy a physical Bible. Unless you're listening to us right now from a country or a land where you cannot physically have the Bible. I understand that. But if you can physically have one, have one. I've always known this. But what I've always known intuitively has now been proved. Uh, proven. I'm, I was reading a book um, called Stolen Focus. And neurologists have done tests. Do you know, Brother Shannon, if you were to take your Bible, your physical Bible, and read it, okay? Let's say you're going to read through the Gospel of John in your physical Bible. But on your Bible app, you're going to read Matthew's Bible. Which one do you think you'll finish first? Matthew electronically or John on paper? Good question. I don't know. You would probably finish Matthew electronically first. And if I asked you simple questions, who, what, where, you'll be able to answer. But ready? If I ask you what it means, why it's important, what you should have learned, any higher order thinking questions, you'll have a hard time, even if I ask you right after you read it, you know what I mean? Like, read Matthew chapter 5. What did Jesus say? Oh, you'll be able to tell me. Uh, and you'll be able to give me examples from the Sermon of the Mount. You'll be able to tell me about the Beatitudes. If I asked you, well, what did he mean by your head will tilt sideways? Because the part of your brain that gains deep understanding, that processes deeply, shuts down to a degree when you read electronically. And I'm convinced that's why the enemy wants everybody reading on a Bible app and not on paper. Because this is not, like I said, this, this is just a reality of how God designed our brains. Amazing. So if, you, like, if you're doing a quick check, you're trying to remember what's the verse that says, yeah, go to Bible app. You'll be able to see it, memorize it. What did it say? It said this. But if you want to understand it, you've got to interact with the paper. Do you think there could be this an association, an association between um, uh, how you view it also as um, being a holy book that is to be revered? revered? Well, that's what I mean. Once it's an app, it's it, that's another problem on a spiritual level. Versus something Once common? it's only an app on your phone. Yes. Well, think about all the other things you do on your phone. It's one of many other distractions. Right. The other thing is, it's almost impossible to push out the distractions when you read on your phone. Think about it. You get a pop-up. It's right there in front of you. You can't ignore it. But if you read your Bible, now the weird thing is I sometimes have my paper Bible and my phone together, but here's the reason why. Like I said, for research, the apps, I love it. It's so much quicker, you know. Like when I mentioned today the, the, you know, the word given for salvation, soterion. Well, I didn't remember the word. I click on, you know, blue letter Bible on my phone, look at the same verse that I'm reading, click right there on the tools and boom, there's the original Greek of every word. I click on it. It tells me what it means as a link to Vine's, um, uh, you know, uh, Bible dictionary. 
So I can get his definition. I can get the original Greek. I can see where it came from, what it meant at the time. It's wonderful. It's awesome. But if that's the only way I interact with the word, I'll remember all these little facts and still not understand what God was trying to say because I turned that part of my brain off. That's amazing. So whether it's dealing with my Bible, I do the same thing with my boys. You know, they're already exposed to some degree of technology. Um, Benel is using occasionally um, laptops or tablets in the classroom. Oben and Osher will be using tablets for certain things. I encourage them to know how to use this stuff, but I also insist that they interact with paper. Like, I will not buy them electronic books. Um, because here's, and for parents out there, please hear this. There's a lot of research on this. While the effect for you and me, all right, is temporary. What do I mean by that? Like I said, if you or I read a text electronically, we temporarily shut down some of the deeper processing in our brain. But let's say you took Jeremiah, you brought him a tablet. And for the next two to three years, everything he does is going to be electronic, no paper and pen. You run the risk of permanently shutting down those deeper processors. And so for the rest of his life... Mm. He'll be able to tell you who, what, where, when. He'll never be able to answer why. He won't be able to assess it. He'll need someone else to tell him. Man, thanks for and that information. I believe now from a spiritual point, brother, yes. that's the point of the technology. If wow. you can't figure out why for yourself, if you can't read it and see it for yourself, yes. then I can tell you what it's supposed to mean, and you have no choice but to believe me, even if I'm wrong. That's powerful. I had no idea. Makes sense to me now, though. Hey, so expose them to the technology. Yes. But don't make it their only source. And like I said, for those of you listening, please, with your Bible, the apps are wonderful. Have an app. If the app gives you a reading plan, follow the plan. But have an actual paper Bible if you can have one and read it. And, And I'll even listen. I'll even stir up a controversy here. I know, I know. I get the absolute dedication to the King James. But if you don't have a King James and you have a new King James, or you have an NASB, read those. I do limit myself to those three translations, and people have asked me why. Um, Because there's a lot of error in a lot of other translations, and a lot of other translations were not made for the right reason. That's right. The New King James was made because people had trouble reading Old English. So, okay, they made it simpler English by taking out the thou, which I love. I love Shakespeare in English, so I can read that. But okay. The NASB, and I've talked about this before in your program, many years ago, the, um, the, the American Bible Society got together the world's leading um, Hebrew and Greek scholars challenged them to find the oldest original text that we have. Translate them word for word. And so if you look at the NASB, it lines up almost identically with the King James. The little things that change are because these scholars are looking at the original 
Their intention was not to change any meaning in the Word of God, but to get us closer to what the original text would have said. And so I will stick with those three. I kind of shy away from anything else. I can appreciate that. Now, in a recent study that I looked at, you got to be careful with the most recent version of the New King James. Whereas the yes, older ones were heard. majority text, the newer one apparently is using the uh, Catholic Vaticanus Codex. Yep. So they've made a bridge back to Babylon. The other right. problem I've got with most of the uh, other modern versions is they're using the Horton Westcott critical text, which is not the majority. Texas Receptor. Right. One of those guys was an occultist. He would commune with dead. Uh, dead spirits. He called them the saints. In a church by himself at, in the darkness. I mean, these were occultists. But I'll yeah. tell you, the, the, biggest, the biggest thing that uh, really makes sense to me, but nobody ever pointed it out to me. In all the years I've been alive and have been in church since age two that I remember. What was the reason for these pronouns? And that's the, the biggest sticker with many people. They've continued to throw the King James on the bus for the these, the thys, the thous, the yeast. Right. Well, it was presented to me that the real reason they did that, because those were not in common use, and that was kind of archaic in King James time. People didn't talk like that. But you need those pronouns for a specific reason. Because in the Greek right. and Hebrew, you can have a singular or plural tense of each word. So if you're going to transmit from uh, those languages into the English, we need to, st- to correctly specify who is the audience is it singular or plural right so when you're talking plural it's ye the thee the thy the thou is singular now if that's correct that makes a lot of sense well the other issue was it's a form of english it's actually easier for people to speak spanish because in spanish although it's it's now starting to die there is still the use of what we call the vosotros and the tu usted. Like if I spoke to you in yes. Spanish, yes. you and I have a relationship. You are my brother. So I would what they call in Spanish, tu tiar. Meaning I would say tu. Hey, Brother Shannon, como tu estas? I wouldn't say como esta usted. Right. That's very formal. Right. So the thou and thee were this sort of friendly. It was meant to convey the intimacy which is why the original New King James was literally just, they took the King James and everywhere there was that for, informal, they took it out because English doesn't have it anymore. And that was an honest translation. It's basically the same book, but I am aware, I heard, I've heard of that. There's a new version of the New King James and they've come from a different text, which is why if you read a New King James published, let's say this year, it doesn't line up with the King James anymore. There's a lot of word changes, a lot of, because they went to a different text. I'm convinced. Um, With the the NASB, the other thing, like I said, one of the other differences between them and the King James is the King James was predominantly translated, not all of it, but predominantly from a Latin text. And the reason why at the time Latin was the language of the educated and Latin was the one thing they had where they had the entire Old Testament 
and the entire New Testament translated from their original languages into this one Latin. So anyone who spoke Latin could translate it then to English. The NASB challenged them. They said, look, since that was done, you know, a couple hundred years ago, we have found older original manuscripts. For example, like I was shocked when I heard this. Do you know that there is, and obviously not in its entirety, there's just a couple of pages. And I forgot which museum has it, but this is fascinating, Brother Shannon. They have found a copy of the Gospel of Mark, certain pages, that dates somewhere around 60 AD. This is like, it, it's written literally less than 30 years after the resurrection. That is pretty amazing. It's that original copy. How like, it's of- original enough, it is actually possible, though not likely, that John Mark himself, or more likely one of John Mark's students, copied this text. Do they have it in its entirety? That- no. Oh, okay. They got fragments. So, what they do in the NSA, NASB is they looked at that text, and for the pages they have, they said, okay, what scriptures are these? Let's compare it to what was used originally. And if it turns out, oh, wow, this text says this, but they translate it like that, really it would have meant more this. And it doesn't radically change the meaning, but it gives a deeper insight. Then they said, then let's go with the original text. We have something a little older. And then they'll put a note in and let you know. This is a change based on this text that we have, which is cool. So to me, given what they were trying to do, and the text that they use is a very trustworthy text. And it's, like I said, it's a word-for-word translation. What I don't like about some of the modern t- translations, besides what their source is, is the problem that they're not word-for-word. So as someone who's done translation, like I used to, I've done translation for Times Square Church. Um, I've done translation for uh, John Ramirez when he's speaking places. There are two ways to translate. You know, if you wanted to speak to your audience and you want to speak to them in Spanish, you speak, I'm going to say word for word. The other thing I can do is just give summaries of what you said. The problem is when I give a summary of what you said, A, your audience is not getting the same details. B, if I misinterpret what you said, they're getting my interpretation. They're not getting what you said. That's right. And so that happens with the NIV. That happens with the... New Living Translation, which honestly, there are some verses the New Living Translation is wonderful for. But as an entire book, no. Because they're giving you what they think it should have meant, not what it said. Absolutely. And that's dangerous. I've been in churches where they're preaching from the, you know, New Living Translation, and they'll use it, and I'm like, that sounds great. The other times they've used it, and I'm like, that doesn't sound right. And I'll look. In the NASB, I look in the King James and go, that's not at all what it says. But this is someone's interpretation, and it's now scripture. And then the most dangerous one, although I feel bad for the writers of it, because this wasn't their fault, the message translation. When the message translation was created, the authors themselves said, listen, this is a paraphrase. In fact, this was the best explanation they gave. Um... Did you have, like, children's Bibles for, you know, your boys and and your daughter when they were little, like toddlers? 
those little child Bibles. Did you have any of those? I did, but we never got around to reading them. Um, okay, so what? But but I remember. You know, them. when you read that, that's that's the 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 a little summary of God's word, but it's not God's word. Right. You know that. Sure. So the message is written to be like that, but for adults. For the adult who's not reading God's full word, but wants to get an idea of the story of the Bible, the message was written. But then pastors, despite their warning, don't use it, started using it to preach God have mercy. in churches and teach. When they started doing that, the publisher realized there's a lot more money to be made if we sell this. And so they took, originally, if you have a very old, one of the first published copies of the message, it says right there in the book, this is a paraphrase of the Bible, not a translation of the Bible. It should be read so that you can get a sense of the story and the history and the love of God for his people. And then you should read a word-for-word translation. They took that out of the book and sell it like, oh, no, it's just a new translation. Oh, boy. But the original authors, I remember when it came out, said that it wasn't. Listen, I'll give you one more. My boys have, and they love this. They have a, um, oh, I forgot what you call these now. It's um, a graphic novel. Oh, yeah. Bible. Like an anime Bible. It's a Bible, but it's a graphic novel. Yeah. They love it. And there are parts of it that are literally word-for-word translated. Like there's a part when Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount, and they literally just, they just stuck the scripture in there didn't change anything but there are the parts they're telling a story but my boys even know okay this is God's word but it's not God's word when daddy reads from the bible that's God's word but there's the story of what's in God's word so that's what the message is it's like that graphic novel it's like your children's bible but they now sell it like it's a translation and it's not good grief so you know, if you own one, by the way, if you're listening and you own one, and if the publishers are listening, please don't come sue me. I'm not telling people don't buy this thing. If you're one of those people who have a hard time understanding scripture, um, and you're saying, look, I, I just want to know the story of what happened at the Exodus. Yeah, buy the message. Read the Exodus. It's a wonderful storytelling. It's awesome. It's great storytelling. But if you want to know what God's word said, pick up an actual Bible. The message translation is not the Bible. It's a paraphrase. It's a story. And that it, it has its purpose. It has its purpose. But it's not to be taken as scripture. Absolutely And not. the author said that originally. That's a good point you brought up. Hey, I got a bonus question for you, Peter. Um, yep. We've had computers for decades now. Right. But I'm still hard-pressed to find any children's software that maybe I could use to supplement the kids' uh, school. Maybe, for example, uh, in mathematics. Now, as a teacher, what do you know as being available? Uh, is there anything you can recommend if you want to give well, the kids Well, I'll some tell you the truth. Given their age, yes, I'll be honest. Um, oh my gosh, why am I forgetting the name of it now? Boys, What's the name of the program you used to use on the on the tablet? 
ABC now. ABC, thank you, Osher. The boys are here with me. I got to go soon because I got to put them to bed. Have you heard of ABC Mouse? No, sir. Let me write that down. Oh. See, here there are commercials about it all the time. You can't live in America and not have heard of it. And I'll be honest, when I first heard of it, when I first heard of ABC Mouse, thank you, Benel. When I first heard of it, I looked at it, I saw a commercial, I'm like, no way. But, um, when the boys, like, you know, during COVID, Claudia was homeschooling them, she would supplement so much of what they were doing. And part of why our boys can read, part of why they're good at math, is because ABC Mouse does a great job of presenting it as fun and games. But it really is legitimate learning. And it gives you as the parent the right to, like, you know, you can set limits. Like, I remember when we first started, Osher could only be on 15 minutes. Obed could be on 15 minutes. But now was a little older, so he got 30. That was it. And they would get upset. They're like, oh, it stopped. It doesn't work. I'm like, no, time's up. So you can program how long you want them on it. Oh, that's cool. If you notice that Jeremiah is doing very good, well with math, but he's having a little struggle with reading, you could actually tell it that you want it from the parent's side, that you want him doing more reading. And it will start throwing more of the reading at him. Oh, wow. If you decide, I want him learning more history, then it will throw more of that at him. Okay, thank you for the tip on that. I appreciate that. So there's, a, there's an app that you can download. It works great on tablets, but you could also use it on your computer. Um, and like I said, and it, you could vary it to ages. And every now and again, like I'm sure now with Christmas coming up soon and Thanksgiving, they're going to be running a, a special because you buy like a one-year license to access it. And the good thing is because you have three, if I remember correctly, the license allows you up to three children. If you have more than three, you have to buy an additional license. So it's perfect for you because you can program one for each of the kids and it will hit them with stuff right at the level where they are and they get some science they get some math they get some social studies they get a little bit of everything thank oh, you sure. please don't stand on that, that oh sure thank you very much for the, uh, mentioning that I'm going to check that out ABC Mouse cool uh, Brother Peter if someone would like to contact you and your ministry is there a way they can do that um, the email is still up and running. You can contact us at kqcministries at gmail.com. We do still have the phone number. We can text that, but I'm not going to give that out right now. I've just turned that phone off for a while um, until I kind of go through my version of the Great Reset, but mine is a good thing. <laughs> In fact, before I let you go, I was going to ask you um, on the air. When is a good time to try to contact you? It's always hard for me to figure out when to call you because our time well, zones are so different. You're about 12 hours I'm ahead a, of us. I'm 13 hours effective Sunday this week when the time zone happens. Uh, okay. Okay. Make a long story short. After almost 10 years, I was successful in canceling my AT&T plan only to make myself a bigger problem. And uh, move over to uh, $3 a minute. So um, I, I dropped my American plan and I went over to Mint Mobile. But okay. In the process of doing that, I uh, 
had to tell everybody, uh, don't text me on my American phone or try to call me because it'll be $3 a minute. So right. what I'm trying to do is get everybody converted to WhatsApp on my Indonesian yes. number. So, so here's what I'm going to do. Yep, and you and I have connected on WhatsApp. Yes. So, okay, so WhatsApp so is the best way to get you. If you contact me on my Indonesian phone on that WhatsApp number, I will okay. get that message, and you'll know I got it because you get two check marks, right, that are green that means right. the person read it. And, uh, okay, so uh, I'm 13 hours ahead, um, and I'm working night shift right now. Right. And some day shift. So the, uh, I'm not working those Saturday and Sunday. So the week, I said all that to say this, the weekends. <laughs> okay. And then just remember, so I will try to hit ahead. you up. Um, if I can, this or next weekend, partly so we can schedule something for December. Sure. And then partly because, like I said, um, you and I, what I need to talk to you about, you and I have talked about before. I just need to confirm because the conversation a year ago. Okay. <laughs> so I need to talk to you about something and confirm because you are actually a part of um, my sort of resetting. But the long and the short, and just so people out there understand, um, we have relocated so that the boys could be closer to their school. We're not in New York anymore. We're in New Jersey. But in doing that, I created a legal problem for the ministry. I thought it would be a simple thing. I'll just move the ministry address here. And it, it's really weird and convoluted, but the simple thing is this. Because of the way the ministry was established in New York, it's easy for me to just easier to just recreate it here in New Jersey than to move it. And so I'm in the legal process of doing that, but I have some pieces that need to be lined up. Okay. Absolutely. Call me. So you uh, and I will talk about that. Call me. But on the, for people, because uh, I'm still in touch with a lot of the people who followed our ministry, I still get emails. I still get messages, and some of them have been asking. And I know some of them are listening tonight. If any of you are listening, that's what's going on. Um, that, and then the other part of it is spiritual. Um, I I don't want to reestablish a ministry just to do what I was doing because I need to do something. The times have changed, the season has changed, and God is starting to give me direction. But I had this conversation with a couple of people, and I'll say this publicly. Listen, the ministry is the Lord's, it's not mine. So as desperately, as much as I love preaching, as much as I love teaching and counseling, as much as I know that this is my calling, I don't want to set something up and do it just so I'm doing something. If the seasons are changing and time is changing, then I'm interested to know, God, what exactly do you want me doing? Where do you want me positioned? And I have some of that clear, and I'm waiting on some more. And while I wait on the Lord, um, everyone who's been waiting to you know, hear from us again, temporarily, will just have to wait till once or twice a month you get to hear me here on Omega Man Radio. And then once we've got everything up and running and I have clarity from the Lord... I will restart immediately. Excellent plan. I hear you on that one. Times have changed. You know, you know and many- you know, you've been through seasons like that. Oh, where boy. it's like, you know what God wants you doing, but you had to shut everything down because he's saying, hey, wait, we're going to change things up a little. 
And it's better to take that time off and get closer to God and get His direction than just run with a human vision because we're suffering right now. The body of Christ is suffering over the fact that we're being led by so many human visions that did not have God's wisdom in it. Absolutely, absolutely. Folks, if you're just joining us, you've got to get this message. I'll get it up in the archive inside the hour from Evangelist Peter Torres. Brother Peter, I want to thank you for going on tonight and um, looking forward to having you on soon. And uh, call me over the weekend. Um, All right, I will. Hey, boys, you want to say goodnight to Brother Shannon and everyone else? Good night. And send me a picture, y'all guys. We will. All right. You want to close I love you, prayer? brother. God bless you and your family. Thank you to all the listeners. Hold on, Benel wants to say hi. Hi, brother Shannon. Hey, hello, Benel. Benel, would you do us an honor and close this program in prayer? You want to pray for us? Thank you for this day, for preaching. Pray that everyone have a good time. Pray that you give us real peace. Amen. I say amen, amen to that. Amen. Benel's got the mic right, anytime he wants to preach. Good night. God love bless. you, brother. Hey, tell Sister Claudia I said hello, and the mic's hers anytime she's ready to teach. You got it. I will. Take care, brother. Love you. All right. Take care. 